Hello, this is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the impending visit of President Donald Trump to our own region right here in central Pennsylvania. And we'll be doing a little catch up on just what's going on with these impeachment proceedings. This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Hello again, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming to you again with another dun, 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 Battleground PA podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And today we have Republican political analyst Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris, our Democratic political commentator. We have them with us in the studio, but we have a special guest. Today we have Mark Polomeropoulos, who is in Washington and phoning in to us. And Mark is an author. He's an author in a former senior intelligence service ranks at the CIA. He retired only in June of this year after a 26-year career in operational headquarters and field management assignments. He's been all over the Middle East, Europe, Eurasia, and working specifically on counterterrorism. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, that's right. That was a, that was a good synopsis. Thank you, Joyce. All right. Very good. So we've got Mark, we've got Rajette, and we've got Jeffrey. And so today, we're going to be talking about President Donald Trump's highly anticipated visit to the Harrisburg region. allow, And it's also going to allow us to catch up on developments with the impeachment process and the controversies that have erupted around our president's unorthodox approach to everything from foreign policy to domestic affairs. So if you'd like to comment, please send us a message at BattlegroundPA on Twitter or Facebook. And please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. So, everyone, are we ready to get started? We're ready. All right, here we go. Jeffrey, I'm going to (laughs) really let you kind of open things up. The president is coming to Central PA, and it's always fanfare. It's always a big show. So tell us, you're the right person to kind of give us an overview. Why is he coming? What he hopes to achieve? Well, first of all, I will be there. Ah, good. (laughs) And what is the name of this show? Battleground Battleground. (laughs) PA. That's right. That's why he's coming. So he recognizes how important it is to win voters in Pennsylvania. Absolutely he does. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who's come up through the Pennsylvania political ranks, the one thing you learn as a Republican is that if you are going to win, Mm -hmm. you have to uh, make up for what the Democrat strength is in places like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Right. And in today's world, sometimes in the uh, suburban counties around Philadelphia. So what that means is you make up for it by churning out your vote mm-hmm. in central Pennsylvania in what they call the T, ah, yes, which yes. goes from the Maryland border up to New York and then left and right. And which uh, is a lot of rural there. areas. Right, in, right. right. Okay. So that is exactly why the president is coming here to Hershey, and doubtless he will be back. And I assume he's going to be expecting a very big crowd. I can tell you that I was told just yesterday that it's almost filled right now. Mm, mm. 
Wow. Okay. And well, and you know, in terms of these Trump rallies, what this has become is you not only get the people that are inside, but you get all these people treating this like a Penn State tailgate. <laughs> the tailgaters, and, right. And they've got screens right, outside. Right, and right, out, So right. it, it's going to be big. Well, one thing you can't say about the president is that he can't draw a crowd. He clearly draws a crowd. He's yes. got his base that and a loyal base that turns out. But Rajette, now these impeachment hearings that we've been going through, clearly that's going to affect, I'm sure the president's going to make some statement on that while he's here. But how are the Democrats basically been reacting and, uh, you know, to what has been happening? And to, I mean, the one thing that we're all looking at is that nobody seems to have changed their minds. It's still people are stuck in whatever they they believe. Right. What I find interesting is the politics of it. Um, as Jeffrey said, Republicans often make it up in the tea. I find it interesting he's coming to Dauphin County because Dauphin County actually went blue in 2016. But you also had HUD Secretary Ben Carson here uh, very recently at the state Republican dinner. And you also had uh, Vice President Mike Pence, also in self-central PA, two to three times in just the past five months alone. So I think it's true that obviously this is more of a Republican stronghold, but there are a lot of Democrats here and they're coming to the places where not that Democrats necessarily outrank Republicans, but where there's a big, enthusiastic Democratic base that comes out to vote to try to counter that. So he's going to stir up Democrats as well as Republicans. Oh, yes. There will be Democrats in the Hershey area that night as well. Okay, got it. (laughs) But um, to go back to your other question, what I find interesting about the hearings is, as we all know, the recommendations and the findings of the hearings will be coming out soon Mm -hmm. um, by the House. And the Republicans, House Republicans, actually came up with their own report Mm -hmm. recently. And I'm not sure if any of you took time to look through it yet. I actually did. Uh, Of course Uh you did. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I'm in trouble now. (laughs) And what I find interesting is, of course, to me, it defies reality. And as we all know, um, (laughs) the Republicans have their alternative facts. But what I actually found more interesting is it kind of reminded me what lawyers do when you're in a trial, where you frame a counter narrative to the prosecution case, regardless of any type of facts where you take selective evidence uh, to paint your client in a favorable light. And as I was reading uh, through the report— Are you describing the Democrats or the Republicans there? (laughs) Well, it's the Republican report, so So, yeah, describing Republicans So the ultimate facts is what you're you're saying that they've done. Well, they ignore ignore the facts in their report. So as far as the Democratic side to it, and, you know, as a county chair, I'm waiting for the official report to come out. Um, I just want to remind all of our listeners and my counterpart here uh, that many of the people who testified were actually Trump appointees. Um, so these weren't just well, not a, only not only Trump appointees; they were working under several presidents. Apparently, they were. Right? But I mean, I'm just saying that they yeah. were they were they were they stayed there under President Trump, and therefore they weren't just planted there to necessarily. Uh, testify against him. Okay. Um, they, they had nothing to gain. And none of them, as I recall, accused the president of bribery. Okay. So let me, let's just stop right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm going to bring in Mark. Okay. Bring in Mark into the conversation. So now, Mark, you're going to actually be here. You're coming with the president. You're going to be here uh, speaking at a World Affairs Council of Harrisburg event on Wednesday. So that's why we decided to kind of invite you to share in this conversation. But you've just heard the two sides. You've heard the Democrat 
uh, Rajat talk about the Republicans having alternative facts, that kind of thing. And you've got our Jeffrey here saying nobody pinned this guy on anything resembling bribery. When you look at this, I mean, you're there in Washington area. You've been working there for a while. How do you see this? So, you know, going back to, you know, I, I retired in June, but for the previous two and a half years before that, I was our acting operations chief that kind of overseeing all of our clandestine operations um, in Europe and Eurasia, which, of course, covers, you know, countries which, uh, you know, are not in the news at all, such as Russia, you know, Ukraine, Turkey. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's quite an easy job. Right. But I look at this kind of very clearly, and, and that, that goes back to the results of the intelligence community assessment when they took a look at election interference. And it was kind of unambiguous and, and you know, an uh, unequivocal view that, from the 17 different intelligence agencies that Russia was responsible for this. So, so any other narrative besides that, I think, you know, I kind of look askance to because I'm just trying to deal and we're trying to deal just, just in the facts and the truth. And I think one of the, the most interesting things about the impeachment hearings, I, I looked at it from a much different perspective. I'm first of all seeing, you know, officials and colleagues that I knew from, you know, the National Security Council and the, and the Department of State, but it, it really was several officials who just went there and told the truth. And I'm not surprised at all they didn't say anything about whether they believed there was bribery or involved or not, because that's not something that a career civil servant would do. Um, and I think, you know, when you take a look at especially Fiona Hill, the National Security Counter Director for, for Russia and Europe at the time, and then Ambassador Yavinovich, who was in, yeah, in, in Ukraine, I mean, really extraordinary public servants who kind of just hold it uh, as it was. And, you know, whether there are political differences or interpretations, that's not for the civil servants to to really talk about. But I think uh, both of them did a tremendous service. And it showed a lot about our career officials and really what kind of ethics and government is all about. Well, I, I think this is part of the issues here, too, that even it seems there's a divide on how to view these career diplomats, correct, Jeffrey? I mean, amongst Republicans, they really thought they had an axe to grind or they were not trustworthy because they have interests. Is that what you felt, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, and I say this as somebody who worked in Washington uh, for a congressman, a senator, a president, and a cabinet secretary. The phrase that's bandied about is the, the, the quote-unquote deep state. But what it really means is the professional bureaucrats who see presidents come and go. And I certainly, in my own experience, really did see this kind of attitude, certainly with President Reagan, that well, who are all these Reagan people <laughs> coming in to run the government? You know, I've been here since, you know, Eisenhower or Kennedy or LBJ or whatever. And they do have a very, not all, but some have a very proprietary attitude about making policy. And But I think this and, may have gone a bit beyond proprietary attitude on making policy. This is alleging abuse of power is what I mean they're they're testifying that this was extraordinary this was outside. I, I am, I, am I right about that Mark that they're seeing this as something that is different from uh, the normal behavior of presidents is that correct or not yeah I think so I mean I, look so there's kind of two different pieces there's always been a history in uh, kind of diplomatic service of, of special envoys or you know even individuals who would do errands if you want to say that for, for various administrations what really made this different, and I think both Ambassador Taylor and Ambassador Yudinovich talked about this, and, and Fiona Hill as well, as she's talking about you know, her warnings, especially to National Security Advisor Bolton, is that there was something quite unsavory about this episode. And again, I think they're saying that dispassionately. You know, you never saw Fiona Hill say that there was bribery involved, but she thought that something was wrong. And you know, it's the famous word that there was a drug deal being cooked that was from National Security Advisor Bolton. So I think, you know, it, it's just a little different than the norm. Um, just to address one thing that Jeffrey said about kind of, you know, personal beliefs of kind of national security officials. Now, 
you know, so I, I worked for 26 years in the at CIA, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you that, you know, my response to this is, first of all, everybody is human, of course, you know, you're going to have your beliefs, but I can tell you honestly, and this is from the intelligence perspective, so it's a little bit different than policymaking, because this, we're not part of the policymaking process, but we were too busy, uh, you know, in, in much of what I was doing over the years to become kind of involved or to have any kind of effect in stonewalling a particular president or not. So, you know, I take some umbrage to when people talk about this only because I don't recall us even having a Twitter feed inside the agency. We were just too busy and you just kind of, you know, go forward your work, which for us was everything from foreign intelligence collection to analysis covered action. Yeah. So basically you're seeing these folks as stepping forward to try to, I guess, defend what they think or some the anchors of our democracy. I mean, right? Being able to to make sure that the president doesn't interfere for personal reasons in foreign policy or in uh, homeland defense. I'm assuming that's their motivation. What other motivation could well, they I, have I had, think... though, Rajet? I mean, I'm asking: is there as you, yeah. the Democrats have brought this forward, and the Democrats, you know, felt that they were going to really zing this thing? It didn't happen. It didn't. It, well, we don't know. We right. don't. We didn't see the report, and that's why I brought the report up in the very beginning. We need to see that report to see. Remember, there was a lot of testimony that took place behind closed doors that, as the public, we do not have access to. That will be included in the report. And I'm a fact-finding person, and that's why, in the very beginning of my remarks, I brought up about comparing the uh, report that came out from the Republican side to a trial. It's like you're making your case before the facts come out. There is no agenda that would be forwarded for those who testified to come out and say, well, the president committed bribery, he did this to me, blah, 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 blah. From a public standpoint, and again, I'm looking at it from a political stance since, you know, we're talking about 2020, that would not further anyone's agenda, um, that you needed them to come forward and tell their experiences, their truth, uh, their facts, and then take all that information, put into the report. As we all know, the Judiciary Committee hearings start uh, soon. What I find interesting is uh, the president and the Republicans have been complaining about the process this whole time. We don't have a say. Our lawyers don't have a say. There's no due process. They've been invited to participate in the judiciary hearings, and the the White House is saying, no, they're not going to participate. So let's bring Jeffrey. Jeff, why? I mean, that, that kind of baffled me, too. So why wouldn't the president and his lawyers step forward at their first well, they, opportunity to offer this strong defense? Well, it shouldn't have been their first opportunity. The first opportunity should be the moment those hearings opened in closed session and prohibited the president from having due process. So they quite clearly feel that this is a show trial, as it were, and they're not going to participate in it. So you never, they're never going to participate. They don't. Oh, I think they'll participate when it gets to the United States Senate. Absolutely, I do. And then the question is, so when it's Republican majority, then the president wants to participate. If what is coming out, or conversely, it's the Democratic majority in the House. But if what is coming out is incorrect, if the president wants to correct the record, he should step forward and do it under oath, not just when the circumstances benefit him. Well, I, for one, would love to see Joe Biden come in under oath and Hunter Biden. Oh, boy. And, you know, I would like to see <laughs> the whistleblower right. under oath in front and of the camera. And they should come forward under oath and say that. Let me ask him, Mark, let me bring you back in here. Well, But you know what? We have to take a little bit of a break. So when I bring you back in, 
I really want to talk about this Ukraine interference in our election matter and all of the hoopla around that. Clearly, you're in a certain position to be able to, uh, from an informed uh, consciousness, comment on this. So, you know, without revealing too much about secret this or secret that, we want to hear what you think about Ukraine and Russia and Biden and all of that. So let's take a break and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back, and we have Regette Harris and uh, Jeffrey Lord in the studio with us. But we also have on the phone Mark Polimeropoulos, who is a longtime CIA official who's just retired. And I wanted to talk to you, Mark, now to just get your impressions of this back and forth between whether it was Ukraine that interfered in the U.S. elections or Russia that interfered in the U.S. elections. This seems to be a big contention and a big dividing line between Republicans and Democrats. So let's hear your perspective. Sure. So, And I will say this as dispassionately as possible because that's what our job in the intelligence community is to be. So, you know, quite clearly, and again, it was the results of the intelligence community assessment that was kind of an analytic product that was conducted um, right after the inauguration of President Trump. But there was no doubt in anyone's mind, it's unanimous that Russia is the state actor that interfered um, in the election, the Russian intelligence services and their proxies. So there really is no doubt about that. Where Ukraine comes in is, and you can see certainly during the recent impeachment hearing, some Republican members were talking about statements from then Ukrainian officials um, expressing some concern about then candidate Trump. And clearly this irritated the Trump campaign. So there's a comparison being made between a state actor conducting a covert action to undermine our democratic processes versus several politicians in Ukraine saying some things that seem to have irritated then candidates and now President Trump. Now, and if you go and see the things that were said, basically these politicians were reacting to some of Trump's statements that he was not as uh, concerned about the Russian invasion of Crimea. In my view, that's comparing apples and oranges. One is a covert action conducted by a state actor that in effect, declared war on us. And another is some simple statements by Ukrainian officials. So, you know, from the intelligence perspective, there is no debate on this. It is quite clear, and I think Fiona Hill put it very clearly during the, uh, the, her, uh, her testimony as well. You know, it was the Russians who did it, and kind of end of story. So, Jeffrey, why is it, I mean, do you think the president has a hard time just accepting what the CIA investigators have, have really well, concluded? Well, I, I, I just think, first of all, Ru- Russians have been interfering in American government forever. I mean, uh, before I was born, Alger Hiss was spying in the State Department. So this is a long, uh, uh, go- yeah, ongoing I, I, problem I, I, with Russia. I mean, and I, I'd love to hear Mark's opinion of this, but I suspect it's far more than Russia. I mean, what about China? What about other uh, nations abroad who have an interest in causing trouble in the United States government or the United States elections, et cetera? I mean, I accept the fact that they tried to interfere. And actually, what what's new is the well, 21st century in technology, and there are ways to do this that don't involve, you know, planning somebody inside the State Department. You know, the thing that bothers me is that it, are, are Americans being fooled? Are, are we being duped by all this? Are we being used? Are we being pawns of some scheme of Russia to divide us? And to, you know, that bothers me. I mean, Mark, uh, Rajette, I mean, are you at all concerned that that actually our enemies may be winning in this divisiveness that's taken over our country? I'm personally very concerned. But what concerns me even more is the fact that we actually have, you know, proof that Russia and countries are interfering with our country and our elected officials aren't coming together and doing something about it. 
perhaps it has happened for years, decades, whatnot, but that doesn't make it right. And we elect them to keep us safe and to do what's in our best interest, and they are not doing that at this time. Um, so that concerns me, and I know it concerns a lot of other people as well. Jeffrey, well, wouldn't the, you feel better if we were standing together against Russia? You well, know? sure. I, I, I mean, I, I, a little perspective here. I, I mean, having worked for President Reagan, I remember when my Democratic friends were raising a ruckus because he wasn't having meetings with the Soviet leadership, to which the president responded with a joke saying, well, they keep dying on me. <laughs> Eventually, of course, Gorbachev came along and I was there when Gorbachev mm -hmm. came to the White House and, you know, they signed the INF Treaty or whatever and, and you know, progress was made. But the long history of the Cold War I find sort of amusing because in my memory it was Democrats yeah. who were no, always no, but, accused but I, again, of – again, I get of, it. But, but let's focus now. I mean I'm really run. concerned about this. Sure. Let's stay focused. We should – as I mean, Mark, as Americans, we should be standing together against any foreigner, foreign interest that comes in. And first of all, look, I worked for, as you know, for Radio Free Europe, uh, Radio Liberty for a while. And part of what people like – you know, you – so dissension in societies, that's what you try to avoid because that's destabilizing. When you get ethnic groups working against other ethnic groups. And I mean, are you at all concerned about the long-term repercussion of what's happening now with, with Americans being so divided? Absolutely, sure. And I think, let me kind of paint a vignette for you. So this is, you know, back in early 2016, as we're sitting, I'm sitting in my office in CIA, and two things are happening. One is we have kind of definitive evidence that Russia interfered in our elections. And at the same time, there were these, and I will just tell you that, you know, this was just our initial feeling, there's some disturbing reports about contact between Russian government and their proxies and some of the Trump campaign officials. And we didn't really know what that meant. Which campaign officials? Trump campaign or Clinton campaign? Trump campaign, Trump campaign okay. officials. And not even comment on that on the American side, what we're looking at that point is that, you know, we really are under kind of a sustained attack from Russia. And so, you know, one would think just as we rallied, you know, uh, together both on both sides of the political aisle after September 11th, one would think we would have that same kind of unity moving forward. And interestingly enough, if you take a look, and, and again, to be fair to the Trump administration, and again, I, you know, I worked there for two and a half years uh, in the executive branch, you know, whether it was sanctions on Russia, whether it was kind of this pushback against Russian intelligence activities all over Europe, there were some really tough policies enacted. And so as we move down the road, we are, you know, at least at CIA, we were probably in the best position since the Cold War to counter the Russians. And that's a really good thing. Where the narrative changes, of course, is where this kind of pops up on the political side with the idea that maybe Russia didn't do it, maybe it was the Ukrainians. And that kind of muddies the waters in what we should be, uh, that we should all be really united both on both sides of the aisle. And then, of course, in our national security institutions and pushing back against Russia, because if you remember, at the end of the day, 2020 is coming up and, and we've heard recent testimony that they, you know, the Russians will be up to their old tricks. Um, as Jeffrey said, which they have historically done, but they'll be up to their old tricks uh, once again. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, you wanted to throw I, something I just wanted in. to mm -hmm. recall this statement from President Obama mm -hmm. in uh, 2016. I think it was election, of, you know, like in October or something like this. And he was at a, uh, a press conference with, I think, the Italian prime minister. And he said, and I'm quoting him directly, no serious person out there who could suggest somehow that you could even rig America elections, unquote. Mm -hmm. And that's when Donald Trump said that he thought there was something fishy going on. And President Obama said what he just said there, right. impossible. 
that changed suddenly right. after the election. Right. But right now where we are, let me ask you, what should we be doing if we were all on the same page? I mean, are we risking anything by not having a president step out and by not having a unified America, basically? I mean, what else should we be doing, Mark? Well, I mean, you know, clearly there's efforts within the intelligence community and the national security institutions to try to kind of resist further Russian interference. And so, you know, that is that is clearly a good thing. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, when, you know, the Russian intelligence services, and again, Fiona Hill did us a great service in talking about this, they are actually the origin of this kind of Ukraine did it theory. And so when their propaganda gets picked up, you know, within the American political system, it's extremely divisive because at the end of the day, this is what the Russians want to do. They're active measure campaigns, active measures campaigns, which, you know, have been going on for 50, 60 years. Uh, is simply to divide the United States. And, and that's, uh, that's uh, what and, and I so worry about, dividing the American people. But let me let me throw an, a little bit of a kink into this. and I, Because some of us, I remember in the media, I used to work in Washington, and I actually was working with NPR when all of the hoopla uh, developed about weapons of mass destruction being found. And even Colin Powell went before the U.N. and said, yes, there were... That caused people to even begin to distrust whether the CIA was giving accurate information. Right. How do you respond to that, Mark? Because when Trump says this, that there's, you know, I, I don't believe him, you know, I don't. It resonates sometimes with some people because guess what? You were wrong one time, <laughs> at least one big time. Right. right. No, there's no doubt about that. Look, that's something that, you know, the agency is, the intelligence community is going to have to live with, it, you know, in, in history. And so all you can say after that is that there was a very tough look internally at what we had done and how we came to those conclusions. And, uh, you know, that's not a, certainly one can't come here and defend that analytic call, but one can say that just in terms of analytic objectivity and and moving forward, there's a lot of safeguards put in place that that can never happen again. I will say, though, just when it comes to the Russian election interference piece, there really is, you know, kind of a unanimous view amongst the community. And and generally, in having you know done this for two plus decades, on assessments there is usually dissent, whether it's between you know the State Department's intelligence organ or between the CIA, FBI, NSA, or U.S. military intelligence entities. In the case of the Russian interference, there was not. And, and you know, look, as, as intelligence officers, that's all we can do. You know, you, you put that forward, and you hope the American people and our political masters agree with it. You know, the key part on this as well is when you talk about bipartisanship, and here's something that, that worries me. And as I said before, we had a, you know, we have a healthy program and policy to push back on the Russians. But I do think on a bipartisan level, we have to hold the president accountable only in when you take a look at two events that have occurred recently. One is the Syrian withdrawal, mm-hmm. and then one is kind of the, the idea of assistance to the Ukraine. There actually really is bipartisan support for both. And so, you know, whether the president has a strange affinity to Putin and makes some some decisions that, you know, Congress has a really strong role, as does all the advisors around the president. Well, that's that's a good point about the bipartisan support, because that is when Republicans did speak up, when it looks like we were backing away from supporting Ukraine. But go ahead, Rochette. We're talking a lot about the past, and I agree we have to learn from the past and not just let it repeat itself when it politically benefits us. But let's talk a little bit more about the present and the future, and some changes are taking place. Uh, let's talk about uh, Facebook. As someone who posts a lot of uh, social media ads, I had to prove I am who I am. I had to prove that I actually live at a physical address. A lot of changes have been made since Russia's interference with the 2016 elections to try to 
prevent some of what happened. A lot of what took place happened through the internet, through social media. Um, and I personally am, am experiencing those changes. Rochette, that's a good point. And Mark, maybe you can shed some light on this. You know, people have multiple Facebook pages and some of them aren't them. I mean, I'm getting requests to friend people I already have friended. Is this <laughs> one of the tactics of the Russians to have fake um, Facebook pages so that a Joyce Davis will be sending out information that's wrong, whereas my real account, you know, sends out something else. Is that one of the things that the, that you guys are worried about? Absolutely. You know, one of the really interesting parts of the Mueller indictment were the indictments of 13 Russians who actually traveled to the United States um, and were involved in kind of the social media campaign. And, and look, the Russians have an army of followers in their security services, whether it's the GRU or the, or the military intelligence service or the, or the SDR, the external service, in which they really take advantage of social media. And just kind of in a nutshell, what they will do is they will take a theme and they will throw it out there. And, you know, whatever sticks, and this is all, you know, whether, I mean, they were infamous for talking about Black Lives Matter, for example, during the campaign. So they'll, they'll throw something out and it sticks and then starts kind of propagating through more legitimate media entities. And it's very hard to kind of battle to, back yeah, against that. But if you go back, the interesting thing you take it, if you take a look at the original post, I mean, they're clear they're, they're misspellings or mm. if you look at the bots, if you look at on Twitter, there's a lot of people who follow all of us on Twitter who, you know, uh, clearly have, you know, no followers and, 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 exactly. and are not following anyone. These are fake accounts. But I would I and would so, urge you know, everyone that, to look at their to check their names, especially on Facebook. And you may have three or four Jeffrey Lords out there. And one of those Jeffrey Lords is saying something good about Obama. I can tell you from actual experience yeah. that on my Twitter account, I was and, and I still have the problem. Yeah. With my phone, I would read an article somewhere that interested me and I'd hit the thing for Facebook. It would post in Facebook, but then I'd hit the thing for Twitter. And eventually I realized it was going to a Jeffrey Lord account who had one follower. Yep. There you go. And that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Like, and, yeah, exactly. and, and no picture right, of me. Right. 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 And, and then, that, you know, that should be a concern for all of us during this election. But I think we're going to have to leave it there. Mark, you have been wonderful to, to join us and to bring your expertise into this. We are looking ahead to see how Donald Trump, uh, what kind of impression he will make when he's in town shortly. What, tell us a little bit more again. When is he going to be here, Jeff? He will be here December 11th, which I think is a Wednesday. It's the 10th. It, oh, it's the it's 10th? It's December 10th. December 10th. Okay. And it's at you the, better be there the right day. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to be there the right day. <laughs> right. right. Uh, it will be at the Giant uh, Center right. in Hershey. And it will Which, be for packed. those not familiar with Hershey's, I believe, where the Hershey Bears play. Okay. Or, or, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. People will know. All right. Well, again, thank you all once again for being here. We've covered a lot of territory, a lot more to cover in as we head toward 2020. And Mark, we look forward to seeing you here, I guess, tomorrow uh, for uh, yep. our forum so on the impeachment. So thank you again. And thank you all for joining us on Battleground PA. See you again shortly. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion and editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. For more info and past episodes, visit us at battlegroundpa.org.